Have you tried changing your health year on year, resolving that this year things are going to be different, but nothing seems to change? Oftentimes, when things are not changing, we are following many wellness myths and not looking at the full picture, including our nutrition, recovery, stress management, leaving out mind-body connection. I want to introduce you to Wellness Redefined, a new podcast from Refillion Media that's here to dispel all your myths about wellness and fitness while sharing stories of how we redefine what it means to be healthy. On each episode, we'll be talking to experts from all walks of life who will share their own unique wellness journey and offer their perspective. I am your host, Tamika Rochester, founder and CEO of Harlem Cycle, a premier wellness space in New York City with a focus on indoor cycling. I've been an advocate for wellness since as early as I can remember. So if this sounds like something that could help change your life, go ahead and pause the show you're listening to and subscribe to Wellness Redefined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Invisible Hate. I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. On today's episode, we investigate a 2017 double murder in Portland, Oregon that happens in broad daylight on the city's public transportation system. Jeremy Joseph Christian, a well-known white supremacist with a history of criminal activity, boards a train like he normally does, all for the express purpose of causing a scene by saying very divisive and sometimes hateful things, all under the banner of free speech. Things take a turn when two teenage girls, one of whom is Muslim wearing a hijab, and the other who is African-American get on the same train. Christian's rhetoric turns to Islamophobic and racist comments. The young women feel so threatened that they move to the other side of the train. Passengers step in to protect the women and ask Christian to calm down. Chaos ensues. Christian pulls a knife and stabs three of the passengers. One of them, Ricky Best, dies at the scene. Another, Talison Namki Menche, dies at the hospital. A third, Micah Fletcher, has his jugular vein severed, but he survives. Christian flees the train at the next stop, but is arrested by police about 20 minutes later. For our new listeners, Invisible Hate is a true crime podcast that is focused on sharing stories about crimes committed because of racial bias or animus. Each week, we share a true crime with you, and then at the end of each episode, we'll debate if this case was a hate crime or not. Our goal is to share with you stories that didn't get a lot of coverage when it happened or stories that need to be remembered because of their impact on minority communities. That's right. We'll also share ways that you can learn more about the case or help the victims or their families. Okay, let's get back to Portland. It's Friday afternoon on an otherwise insignificant spring day in Portland, Oregon, and also the first day of Ramadan. Commuters begin filling up the light rail train as they leave work to start their weekend. It's 2017 at the height of the nation's divide regarding immigration issues. Remember that, Sadia? Yes. Stereotypically contentious Portland is perhaps extra heated, still reeling from a string of racially motivated events 
including a fatal hit and run of a black teenager by a well-known white supremacist in a neighboring town just a few months before. Portland, which is over 70% non-Hispanic white and about 6% African-American, was actually formerly called, quote, a skinhead city, and once stood as the home base for Volksfront, a now-defunct white supremacist organization. So, Asit, this came as a surprise to me because when I think of Portland, or at least when I thought of Portland, I thought of it as a very liberal, woke place. That's my reaction uh, as well, Sadi. I actually live in Portland, Oregon, and moved here maybe four years ago from Boston. And I have thoroughly enjoyed living here. And yeah, it's not the most diverse area uh, of the country, but certainly the people that I interact with and the city of Portland itself um, is very welcoming to all kinds of people. You know, the motto is keep Portland weird. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, people who are quote unquote different are fully accepted here, no matter, you know, what you are on that different spectrum. But unfortunately, some are accepted as different in bad ways. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and certainly, I think as you get more outside of the city itself, it becomes less and less tolerant uh, of difference. Right. So let's get back to the case. So at 4.30 p.m., 17-year-old Walio Muhammad, a Somali-American Muslim, and her 16-year-old African-American best friend, Destiny Mangum, board the train to go shopping at the mall after school. The girls accidentally take a train in the wrong direction toward downtown Portland, so they exit and reboard the MAX. That's what we call our subway station here, the Metropolitan Mm. Area Express, heading back in the other direction. They take seats facing the window. Another passenger is 35-year-old Jeremy Joseph Christian, a six-foot-tall, 250-pound white man. Christian is well-known for being a white supremacist, a Nazi supporter, and a self-proclaimed nihilist. He'd spent several years in jail for kidnapping and robbery before this, and made a habit of using public transportation to exercise his free speech. And by free speech, you mean just spewing hate? That is correct, yeah. We'll we'll get into that for sure. After boarding the train, the girls begin to hear Christian spouting various racial and political proclamations, including, quote, go back to Saudi Arabia, quote, free speech or die, you know, and that Muslims should commit suicide and that Jews and Muslims and Christians can all kill each other for world peace. Really just horrible stuff. Fellow passengers who appear to be attempting to ignore him report him talking about decapitations and making throat slitting gestures. Oh, wow. The environment begins to get more heated and a conductor over a loudspeaker asks the person creating the disturbance to leave the train. The teenage girls, one of whom is wearing a hijab and thus the only visible Muslim on the car, moves away from Christian to the back of the train as they begin to feel more and more threatened. Christian continues to rant loudly from his seat, and that's when a man named Talison Anamke Menche approaches while filming on his phone, actually, Mm. and Christian knocks the phone down and stands up, 
another man at this time named Micah Fletcher stands up and the three men stand chest to chest, screaming. Christian and Fletcher get into each other's faces as Christian taunts him to do something with Fletcher repeatedly telling him to leave the train. Fletcher and Christian begin shoving each other. When Christian falls and stands back up the second time, he produces almost a four inch pocket knife and slashes at the men, you know, around him, including oh, no. Fletcher, Namke Menche, and then another person nearby named Ricky Best. And he stabs them 11 times in 11 seconds. It's just total pandemonium on the train car. I said, this sounds so brutal. Just listening to you, it's making me so anxious and nervous. And going back to these teenage girls, right? I have two teenage daughters. And just to think that they were going about their day, going to the mall, and this happened. And then three people trying to intervene and protect them. And eventually two of them die. They're killed. It is just such an unfortunate incident. And I wonder, it's important for people to intervene in situations like this, but then to be met with, you know, this kind of fate, it just, it's so sad and so disheartening. I 100% agree with you. And I think for me, you know, Fred Rogers has shown PBS, always says, you know, look for the good people in this stuff. And, and for me, you know, like seeing these three people, you know, come to, stand up for the two women. To me, that's that's the best of humanity right there. Exactly. That's incredible. And we'll get more into that for sure. So now, sadly, the train has stopped. Most mm -hmm. passengers flee, including Christian, while others attend to the seriously injured passengers. The girls, you know, they drop their stuff and run into the closest building. And it's a business. It's a 24-hour gym to take refuge while Christian runs through what's called the Hollywood neighborhood here in Portland and other passengers chase him down. Police arrive at 4.48, so literally, you know, less than 20 minutes after all this began, and they find Christian along an access road by the highway. Allegedly, he throws the knife as he's being arrested, exclaiming, quote, I just stabbed a bunch of motherfuckers in the neck. I can die in prison, a happy man. And wow. then he also said, that's what liberalism gets you. Both of those people would be alive if they kept their hands to themselves or got off the train or allowed me to have my free speech. Ricky Best dies at the scene. Talison Namke Menche dies at the hospital. And Micah Fletcher's jugular vein is severed but he survives and you know the two teenage girls survive as well but obviously with a lot of mental trauma this is a difficult case to deconstruct asad because there are so many problematic elements but as i said previously you know these three men were standing up for what was right and what happened to them is just so sad and so unbelievable under these circumstances. But let's talk a little bit about Christian, his background, where he grew up. I want to know more about this guy. Yeah. 
A real piece of work, for sure. So Christian grew up in Portland, which he called a, quote, run cesspool of intolerance and violence. Uh, He's a high school dropout, jobless, and transient. He uh, attended and was filmed at a bunch of alt-right rallies around Portland, including the March for Free Speech a month before the murders. And at that one, he actually wielded a bat and a revolutionary-era flag, shouting things like, die Muslims. Even the far-right organizers' patriot prayer condemned his behavior. So you know when yeah, when the far-right people are, are condemning your behavior, you know that you've gone way too far. So he's hardcore white supremacist. It definitely seems that way, yep. He was known socially and on social media as a white supremacist, as a white nationalist, sharing conservative, anti-Semitic, and conspiratorial views, often violent and contradictory. Supposedly, on the day of the attack, his mother had actually planned to remove his 15,000 comic books from her house, which, you know, may have set him off. I am always wary of these may have set him off or trigger things, especially when somebody is a well-known white supremacist and has been doing these things in the past as well. Yeah, I can totally agree with that, Sadia, for sure. So Christian showed signs of mental illness at least as early as 2002 when he was arrested for robbery and kidnapping at a convenience store, supposedly in retaliation for the clerk selling him non-winning lottery tickets. Police actually shot him in the head as he was fleeing. Was he ever diagnosed with mental illness? Uh, Asad, do, do we have any information on that? I don't remember seeing anything about him actually being diagnosed with mental illness or not. But I guess what I would say is that if you're shot in the head by anybody, that's going to cause problems. And, you know, I don't know what those problems are, but certainly, you know, having someone shoot you in the head and surviving is has got to be impactful. Yeah, but I just want to add a caveat here and I want to reiterate that there is a growing body of research out there which shows that many people who show symptoms of mental illness are not violent. And contrary to what public perception is, there isn't a direct connection between mental health and violence. And I don't want us to go down that rabbit hole because if we inadvertently, even subconsciously connect mental health to violence, then we are putting a lot of people who suffer from different mental illnesses in harm's way, and it's harmful for us to promote that narrative. I also want to quote something from a medical sociologist here. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Swanson. He works at the Duke University School of Medicine. He's a prominent researcher on the topic, and I quote, If a person has a severe mental illness they may have other risk factors for violent behavior, so it may not be mental illness driving to violence at all, but rather factors like having been abused as a child, being unemployed, or living in a high-crime neighborhood. Unquote. So I want our listeners to think about this, sit with it, and just realize that mental illness doesn't automatically mean violence. In fact, a lot of people who do suffer from mental illness are not violent. I think that's a a, a very fair point and actually things that I didn't know as well. I think that when it comes to a lot of these crimes, my first question is, you know, 
or were they mentally ill or did something set them off or, or, or something like that. So that's, that's pretty informative. Thanks, Sadia. So going back to Christian, so that robber and kidnapping in 2002, he actually served seven and a half years for that and was also convicted in 2011 on federal charges of being a felon in possession of a firearm. And he also has a history of just being arrested several, several times as well. Days before the murders, he was recorded yelling similar slurs on another train and threw a full Gatorade bottle at a black woman who tried to stop him. That woman was injured and filed a report, but police didn't track Christian down. I said, why do you think that happened? Why didn't police track him down? I can only surmise, you know, uh, there are a couple of reasons. One, it's probably pretty hard to track someone down who's transient. Two, maybe they didn't have the resources. Three, maybe they didn't care. I think there could be a number of, of reasons why that didn't happen immediately. They might not have thought that it was a big deal. Hmm. So for Christian, those that knew him personally, uh, they said that he was becoming more and more unhinged and needed mental help and had not been formally diagnosed. But it does look like that in 2012, he attended a substance abuse program for marijuana under federal supervision. So, you know, not a fully complete picture of this Christian guy, but... I think we we both get a sense of Mm. the type of person he is, his morals and ethics and stuff like that. Right. I want to talk a little bit about the victims now and what we know about them. And so obviously there are quite a few victims in this case. The first one, Talison Namke Menche of Portland. He was 23 years old. So young. So young. And he was the one that died in the hospital shortly after the attack. He was a recent graduate of Reed College, which is a really prominent liberal arts college here in the Portland area, and he was working for a consulting firm. His last words, Sadia, were, tell everyone on the train I love them. Oh my god, I said, this really breaks my heart. Um, Ricky John Best of Happy Valley was 53 years old. He was the one that was killed at the scene. He worked at the Bureau of Development Services um, and was an army vet and a father of four. That's so sad. Michael David Cole Fletcher was 21. He's the one that survived. He was a student at Portland State University. His jugular was severed as we talked about, but... Christian missed his artery by one millimeter. Thank God for that. Yeah, he was released from hospital four days after the attack in time to attend the arraignment, which we'll get to. In high school, he won a poetry contest with a poem about Islamophobia in the U.S. He was also a counter-protester at that same March for Free Speech rally that Christian Mm -hmm. had attended. He continued to be outspoken about anti-racism at victims' memorials and beyond. He said that he actually became an alcoholic for nine months after the murders, and he experiences fear and anxiety all the time. And then, of course, we have the two teens. So Destiny, Mangum, and her mom expressed gratitude to the three men that helped her, but asked for space to process and heal she was visibly traumatized in videos and at the trial. And Walio Muhammad uh, was also visibly traumatized at the trial. 
Uh, she stopped wearing a hijab two weeks after the murders. Now I just want to talk a little bit about the kind of general reaction because, you know, Portland's a major city. And so this did get a lot of news when it happened. And so, you know, we'll just kind of talk a little bit about how the city, state and country reacted. So immediately the light rail train, the MAX, was shut down temporarily. The FBI said early on that it was too early to say whether the violence that occurred was an act of domestic terrorism or a federal hate crime. But Christian was charged with intimidation charges, which is Oregon's equivalent to a hate crime, which is, you know, good news. So he was charged with hate crime then? Under Oregon's law, not on the federal level. So sadly, a number of local and national officials put out statements, including one that you found from Portland's mayor, Ted Wheeler. Do you want to share that? Yes. So the mayor, Ted Wheeler, called this attack, and I quote, a horrific act of racist violence, unquote. He also pointed to the political climate at the time as a factor in the crime, saying, and I quote, violent words lead to violent acts, unquote. And that's a very powerful message, Asad, especially the last line. It is so true. We don't realize the power of words and what they can do and the kind of horrific things they can cause. This particular crime is a testament to that. So what you say, how you say it, and when you say it, please, please choose wisely. So police discussed increasing their presence in Portland through the rest of Ramadan, which was a great reaction from police. So there was a lot of calls on President Trump to speak out about this violence specifically and similar violence that was happening across the country. Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley called on Trump to actually call all the three families. And then after calling them, he should speak to the nation I feel like much of what has happened with these hate crimes falls directly from who he is. Right. Trump actually stalled on responding to the incident. Not surprising at all. But later tweeted, quote, The violent attacks in Portland on Friday are unacceptable. The victims who are standing up to hate and intolerance. Our prayers are with them. Hmm. Portland's mayor, Mayor Wheeler, asked federal officials to withhold permits to a forthcoming rally that was happening in Portland called the, quote, Trump Free Speech Rally, and also another one that was called the Act for America Anti-Sharia Law and Human Rights Rally. And, you know, Sadi, I think the best part of, you know, the reaction was that the community itself came out to support the victims. Over a million dollars was raised across three campaigns for victims and their families within the first three days. So as it tell me, what happened once Christian was arrested? Yeah, so at the arraignment, four days after the stabbing, Christian says, quote, get out if you don't like free speech. You call it terrorism. I call it patriotism. And then he went on to say, leave this country if you hate our freedom, death to Antifa. The charges for Christian were many. You know, they're across the board, attempted murder, murder, assault. But there were three 
counts of second degree intimidation, which is a hate crime in Oregon. And then there were other things like two counts of menacing and two counts of unlawful use of a weapon. The aggravated murder charges were actually dropped to first degree murder because of a new law that you have to kill at least two people as an act of organized terrorism to be convicted of aggravated murder. And that took the death penalty off the table. Oh, wow. I don't understand this, Asid. So somebody has to kill more than two people for the act to be considered an organized act of terrorism? Yeah, that's my understanding of this. And it was a new law that was initiated in, in 2019 in Oregon. Hmm. So at the arraignment, Christian doesn't enter initial plea, but then pleads not guilty by reasons of self-defense against the, quote, violent aggression of Micah Fletcher. This is complete bullshit, right? <laughs> yeah. He's appointed a public defender. And then, you know, we go to trial. So what happened at the trial then? Yeah, so the t- trial takes place in early 2020 after a bunch of delays at the beginning of the country's racial reckoning. Both the defense and prosecution commission separate mental evaluations. The defense contends that Christian was not a white supremacist and in fact thinks any one group acting superior is problematic. And they also say that he showed symptoms of various undiagnosed psychological disorders and became more provocative when drinking and that he acted in self-defense once Fletcher cornered him. Christian, he claims that he wasn't paying particular attention to the two teenagers and merely remembered threats from several men and he just kind of felt like he was quote-unquote on autopilot. Um, But 40 witnesses testified at the trial, including the two teenagers and Fletcher. Cell phone videos were shown and TriMet, the Max, our our subway station surveillance uh, video was shown of both the stabbings and of Christian ranting before and after. Christian had several outbursts in court, including, quote, I don't care how much time I spend in prison. All I care about is the public gets to see and hear what happened on the train. After two days of deliberation, he's found guilty on all counts, is convicted of intimidation or, you know, a hate crime um, against the two teenagers and another young black passenger and from the woman from the day before. During sentencing, Christian spoke about nihilism, the Electoral College, and the criminal justice system, amongst other things. Sometimes he appeared emotional, but also said, quote, I will not accept my guilt. I defended myself according to the law. This is a standard ground state, and I stood my ground. Also, he said that Portland cannot even tolerate a little free speech. It wasn't hate speech on the max. It was designated to get a reaction, not to murder anyone. So, yeah, you know, I think he was really claiming that he was the one that was the victim, that he was just expressing his First Amendment rights to free speech when someone got aggressive with him. Asad, can we talk a little bit about Oregon's first-degree murder law, which apparently is controversial for our listeners just to understand what happened and how? Certainly, yeah. So Oregon's first-degree murder law is controversial. Basically, what it's saying is that judges aren't allowed to 
hand down life sentences without the chance of parole. So what's happening now? Where is he? Can you give us an update? So Christian was sentenced to two life terms, one for each count of first-degree murder with no possibility of release, plus an additional 51 and a half years for related charges. The families of both victims killed also sued the city and the subway system for $20 million for not arresting and prohibiting Christian from using the max after two supervisors and a police officer responded to the previous day's assault. And then you mentioned, you know, what's the latest? Christian is incarcerated right now at an Eastern Oregon prison and appealing, likely because life without parole is considered unconstitutional under Oregon's, you know, first degree murder update. Federal prosecutors do not anticipate charges, additional charges, unless his conviction is overturned, given his already lengthy sentence. I said I'm a bit confused. So this guy is not gone for life. Like he may come out at some point. He may be set free at some point. Well, so currently he's in jail for two life terms. But yes, I think that there is some ambiguity as to whether Oregon's laws allow for prison for the rest of the life without the possibility of parole. So yeah, there there could be something coming up in which basically his sentences are reduced, but he'll be in there for quite a while. In addition to what you talked about in 2017, all of this was happening against the backdrop of Trump's presidency, first year of his presidency, hate was being normalized. In January 2017, if people remember, Executive Order 13769, titled Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States, also called the Muslim Ban, was introduced as an executive order by then-U.S. President Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. Which basically meant that a lot of people from certain majority Muslim countries were prohibited from entering the U.S. An extremely xenophobic, bigoted law And after this particular incident, something else happened in August. Asad, do you remember killing of Heather Hare during a violent Charlottesville white nationalist rally on August 12th? Oh, yeah, that's right. She was run over. Is that right? Yes, she was run over by James Alex Fields. And this also happened in 2017. So James Alex Fields Jr., who was 22 at the time, um, Ohio man, He drove his car into a crowd of counter-protesters at the Unite the Right rally on August 12, 2017, killing Heather here and injuring dozens. So a lot of things were happening in 2017. I remember there was this Guardian article which headlined, a white girl had to die for people to pay attention, and they were referring to Heather here. And this was an article, I think, from her mother on hate in the U.S. But at the end of the day, what really saddens me is that this Portland incident happened in, what, May 
June and then in August this incident happened. So, you know, people didn't really learn much from this particular incident. And that's what was so scary about Trump's presidency and four years that ensued, right? I think this is exactly right. And I think it's a really good point in that, you know, obviously we, we talk a lot about the, on this show, especially violence that happens all the time. But it seemed like this type of violence that was racially motivated, that was this was the beginning, right? And, right? and so, yeah, it started to an uptick, you know, across the country and, and because of the rhetoric that we were listening to from our president. Let's dissect it. So was it a hate crime? Yes, this is a racist act of violence. There is no other narrative that comes to mind. It's pretty simple for me, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, Sadia, the facts in the case are, you know, obviously him spewing the hate speech, you know, live that day on the train. I think that to me, it felt like he was looking for a reason to act aggressively and he was the cause of the problem. At any point, he could have stopped or gotten off the train and, you know, these two people would still be alive. So, you know, his rhetoric, for sure, the fact that he was targeting and scaring the two young teenagers on the train. Clearly, for me, this was a hate crime. Absolutely, Asad. And there were other incidents that happened before this incidents where he spewed hatred and hate speech. And what really sealed the deal for me was after the incident, he was so unapologetic and in your face about what he had done and the crimes he had committed, right? So, there was no remorse. There was no regret. He was proud of what he did. He thought he did the right thing. Again, eliminating people who did not look like him. He was proud of it. And that to me speaks volumes about the kind of person that he was. And that's why going back to this whole mental illness thing, I think it is unfair to people who suffer from mental illnesses to conflate who they are and their identity with narcissists and bigoted racist folks like him. So that's why I think it is a hate crime. Yeah. I think that I'm in agreement with you and and clearly the courts saw it that way as well, at least here in Oregon, that this was a hate crime. So yes, I think hate crime for me, hate crime for Sadia. Here I do want to add something for our listeners. Asad and I are not experts in criminology. What we are doing on this podcast is to share facts with you about certain crimes that we think need more attention. And then we deliberate. We are learning with you. So if there are lawyers out there or people who are experts in the field, and if they have thoughts on particular crimes that we are discussing, please write to us and tell us what you think and how we can further understand the legal aspects of what a hate crime looks like, how it's prosecuted, as we are learning with all of you. And we'd love to to hear from our listeners, regardless of what your background is and your thoughts on whether this was a hate crime or not, or, or other opinions that you have on this case. I should note that if you wanted to help, you know, we'll have links to the show notes to different stories and, and ways that you can help. All the campaigns that had been accepting money for the victims have ended and the one surviving stabbing victim says he doesn't you know want any more money and has asked for people to focus on the two teenagers 
we'll try to find some links that we can share in the show notes uh, for people that want to help that they'll be able to help. And with that, I think we'll wrap up, Sadia. Yes. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Invisible Hate. Like I said, if you want to learn more, we'll have links in the show notes about this case and others. Please email us your thoughts on this story at info at invisiblehatepodcast.com. You can also tweet at us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Invisible Hate Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It makes a huge difference. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Rafaelion Media and Immigrantly. We'd love to thank our team, which includes Isabel Havens, Michaela Strather, Lindsay Gamble, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music is done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime for us to analyze. Until next time, I'm Asad Butt. And I'm Sadia Khan. Thanks. Thanks.